Hello, and welcome to another episode of Movies, colon, They're Pretty Good. I'm your host, Travis Dudding, and welcome to 2024, New Year, same mediocre podcast, but hey, we're going to keep pushing anyway. So, something I wanted to do for the month of January, I wanted to do another themed month uh, like I've been doing, but... um. I had the idea of doing uh, snow or winter movies that aren't necessarily holiday-related. So, uh, without further ado, let's get into our first one of the year. Uh, This is the Coen Brothers classic, Fargo, from 1996. Uh, Great movie. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Um, But, yeah, uh, very winter-heavy plot and everything like that and takes place during winter takes place in the snow so uh that's why i wanted to cover it this month uh let's get right into it so uh we open on a card that say says that the says that says that the uh story is a true story but you know i i always love when um things are marketed as a true story when they obviously aren't um Now, some of the stuff might have happened in this one. Um, It says that the uh, names and locations were changed and all that. Um, And I I probably should have looked that up, but I honestly didn't think about it since uh, (laughs) until now, like after uh, writing down that note. But um, yeah, it says it's a true story, says the names and locations were changed, um, but the story's told exactly how it happened in order to... um, uh, like honor the dead, that that type of thing. Um, so, and this one takes place in Minnesota in 1987. Um, uh, real quick, if you're not, uh, if you're familiar with the movie but not familiar with the TV show, it is connected. And I'll talk a little bit about that, like once we get to that point in the movie, like where there is a connection, but it's very loosely connected. And uh, basically, all these events happen. Um, in the Midwest and uh, Fargo is very loosely related. Like it's just, it's kind of just one central location that, um, but all, everything else usually happens in another Midwest city or state even. Um, but it's, if you haven't seen the show, check it out. Um, especially uh, seasons one and two, um, three was okay. Uh, and I haven't seen four and five yet, but, um, that's another reason I wanted to do this movie is because it gave me a reason to rewatch it. And then I could rewatch through the series and get, uh, uh, more caught up on it and everything like that because the new season looks really good. And so did the last one, but it was just a weird time in my life where I wasn't doing a lot of TV watching, but enough about that. Uh, um, opening shot is a, uh, snowy road uh the snow's blowing across so it's very uh low visibility but we see a a car pulling a trailer with another car on the back and just going down the road um they uh this car pulls into the town of fargo um and the last time we're gonna see that town of fargo in the whole movie but um it pulls in and this is where we meet our uh, one of our main characters, because um, I'd say that there's two leads and two sides of a story basically going on here. Um, may- maybe three leads, but because uh, there are like three plots going on. But um, so, yeah, one of three main 
protagonists, uh, Jerry Lundergaard, played by William H. Macy, who is just amazing at doing this, like, exacerbated, uh, pushover type character. And, uh, real, <laughs> really bringing out the big guns with this one. Uh, and, uh, I'd say another familiar, or, Another one that is kind of like that is his character in Boogie Nights and his character in Magnolia. So two Paul Thomas Anderson classics right there. Uh, And um, so he's uh, having a meeting with uh, Carl and Gare. Uh, Carl played by Steve Buscemi and Gare played by uh, Peter Stormare. Um, And... You could tell right off the bat that these guys are criminals. Um, they're talking about. Uh, so he's basically bringing them this car and which is part of a deal. Um, and there's also this going to be this $40,000 ransom. Uh, um, well, I think it's no, the ransom is $80,000. Uh, and then the criminals keep 40,000 and he keeps 40,000. And we understand that, uh, that he has a, uh, wealthy father-in-law and that the plan is to kidnap his wife and, uh, stage a kidnapping, stage a ransom, uh, criminals keep the half of the money and William H. or Jerry keeps the other half of the money. Um, and the plan is like the wife doesn't get hurt or anything like that. They just kidnap her. Each of them get their money and then they move on. Um, and they're like, okay, like, why don't you, uh, ask the father-in-law for money? And then it's like, no, like, I can't do that because he doesn't like me pretty much. Um, and I mean, they're right off the bat, just ploke poking poke oh my god i can't talk today uh they're poking all these holes in his uh logic of his plan and everything like that um and just pointing out like okay like there's all these things that can go wrong why don't you just do that why don't you like all these different uh obvious things um and he says like well like i'm into some trouble and he'd rather not uh have either of them know like what it is and i don't think we ever really hear what the trouble is that he's in if it's like a gambling debt like a loan shark thing or what but he owes somebody money and this is uh he's basically uh fallen to this position hit rock bottom and need this is his only way out in his head so we see jerry come back to the house uh he's got groceries uh goes into the uh, does he have groceries i don't know i could be getting either way he comes home uh, his wife's in the kitchen cooking his wife, uh, his name is Jean. Um, and then we've learned that, uh, his father-in-law is there also, and he's there for dinner. He's just on the couch, uh, with a glass of probably whiskey and watching the, the hockey game on TV. So during the scene at the uh, dinner table, while they're having dinner as a family, it's the, it's Jerry, his wife, his son, and his father-in-law Wade. And, uh, he has this business proposition for Wade saying like, Oh, like I have this, uh, idea, like let's buy a parking lot. And like, um, basically I just need you to invest and upfront the money. And you know, it's going to be a good investment. It's going to be very lucrative. And he's very, uh, Wade's very like, no, I don't know. That doesn't really 
sound like it's going to a good idea, but still talk to, um, I think it's Stan, um, another, uh, accountant guy at the, at the firm. Cause they work for a, uh, uh, Wade owns a car dealership and Jerry is the, uh, chief, uh, chief sales officer or something like that. So Wade's just kind of blowing them off about this, uh, but not outright saying no. Um, so, uh, we get a little bit of the, um, an insight into how like difficult Wade is to deal with and how he doesn't really like Jerry all that much. Um, and then, uh, the son asks if he can be excused and gets up and leaves and like, he didn't finish his dinner and the grandpa, his grandpa's like, okay, like you didn't, you know, saying to the, the parents, like, what he doesn't finish his dinner and then he gets to go to McDonald's with his friends and just like insinuating that he's going to be just up to no good there. Uh, whatever. He's just like a difficult old man, but the mom's like, he's fine. He's just young. He's just a kid, you know, they're just going to hang out, whatever. Um, so, uh, then we get, um, cut to, uh, Garen Carl, they're, uh, arguing over like where they're going to eat dinner. They're just driving. So obviously they're on their way from Fargo to wherever Jerry is to, um, kidnap the wife. And, uh, they're just having this like, uh, argument about what, uh, where they're going to eat because Garrett just wants to eat at, um, house of pancakes. So, which is, or pancake house is how he says it. But, um, he has an accent that isn't, um, but they don't really talk about like where he's from or anything like that. Uh, so, but you could tell that he's not a full American or not born in America. Um, not that it matters, but it's just, uh, just, uh, one of those character traits that they just give without a, uh, explanation, which I think is always a little more effective. Um, you don't need a backstory for everything about everyone, you know, uh, you don't need to find out why Solo or Han Solo is named Solo. You know, it's not necessary. But so we got uh, Gare. He wants pancakes. And he's like, what? Like, we just had pancakes for breakfast. Uh, Carl says this. And um, it's like, we just need to go somewhere with a steak and beer and a shot. You know, that's what I want. And uh then it cuts back to uh, Jerry. Uh, we see him at work. He is uh, trying to sell a car to this couple and he's arguing with them and saying like uh, the guy's like calling him a liar saying like you said that the car was ready to go at this price. And now I get down here and you're trying to push this uh, true coat on and everything like this, uh, you know, sealant on the paint and everything like that. And he's like, ah, oh, no, like it just comes like that from the factory. Um, but let me go talk to my boss and he like pretends like to go, which I'm sure this is a major salesman trick anyway. Um, like, you know, you know that you can, he's basically trying to trap him into a certain price that's above what, um, he initially advertised, but below like what he's trying to make it seem like he's giving him a deal and where he's really not. He's still like the guy's still paying more money and he's not falling for it, but he does like, he knows that he's getting screwed over, but uh, he still ends up buying the car anyway. So then we cut back to Carl and Gare. They're uh, pulling into Brainerd. Um, they make sure to show you the sign 
uh, Welcome to Brainerd, home of uh, Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox, uh, giant Paul Bunyan statue. And uh, they uh, pull into the Blue Ox Motel. They get a couple of uh, sex workers. Uh, that's one of the things that they talked about. I guess that was the compromise for not getting pancakes is that they get uh, prostitutes to have sex with. And they're like just one in each bed with a different girl, uh, whatever. I, a little awkward, but hey, if that's your thing, that's your thing. Um, and it seems like it's like a nothing scene. It's just showing you like this is what they're doing right now and then it cuts to them like just watching tv with them you know uh and then it doesn't seem like it's important but it'll come back later uh the um then we get uh jerry he's at home he gets a call uh from wade his father-in-law and he's saying like hey like i'm talking to stan uh this deal sounds like it might be a good thing so why don't you come in and we'll, uh, we'll talk about it, you know, me, you and Stan. And he's like, Oh, like, okay. Like I might, um, I might get the, uh, well, I think he says out loud, he's like, Oh, like I would need the money up front and all this stuff. So, um, he's like, okay, like I might not need, uh, this kidnapping thing to happen. So he tries to have it called off. Um, he calls, uh, his middleman, which is, uh, Shep Proudfoot, and we'll actually see him later. Um, oh, yeah, he's saying that uh, he can't get a hold of them. Like, it's already, it's going to happen, you know. I can't, like, call it off at this point. Um, cut back to Carl and Gare. They're driving uh, into Minneapolis. Um, we can see, like, the uh, all the big buildings and everything. Uh, and he's just trying to, like, get a conversation out of Gare, and, all he, and he doesn't, like, say anything, like, at all. And he's just like, you know, we're driving, like, four hours. I'm doing all the driving. Like, all I want to do is just, like, talk, you know? Like, can't you just say, like, anything? Like, <laughs> but, you know, he's just, like, one of those strong, silent types, so he's just not really one for conversation. And you could also tell that he's, like, very annoyed with Carl, and uh, which is another character that's a type of character that steve buscemi's really good at is just playing like a weird annoying guy um cut to uh jerry he's uh back at his office he gets a call from the bank saying like hey uh um so uh you sent us the paperwork over for these cars that you put up as like a collateral um for us to loan you three hundred thousand dollars basically and uh but on the paperwork the serial numbers are hard to read like so i need you to um just give me those serial numbers obviously uh jerry uh fudge these numbers and these cars probably don't exist uh because he's trying very hard to like beat around the bush and saying like like, okay, like, I'll fax you over another copy or, you know, all this stuff. And he's like, no, like, this one was a fax, like, and we can't read it. So I need you to just tell them to me. And he's like, well, I don't have that information on me right now. So I'll have my assistant or secretary, whoever, uh, send you a copy, like an actual hard copy. Um, and the banker's like hesitant, but he's like, okay, that'll do. So, yeah, it's just, like, another scene that is showing, like, how uh, in over his head Jerry is. And, like, it's more than one thing that he's got, like, that he's screwed up on his own and he's trying to, like, wiggle his way out of. So he's, like, got this kidnap thing, got uh, whatever deal that he has uh, 
that he owes money for. And, uh, now this like, uh, fraudulent loan and everything like that. So, um, just like, <laughs> just a guy that's like, just always trying to get out of trouble and just digs himself even deeper hole. Um, so, uh, now we cut to, uh, Jean, she's at the house, uh, watching TV and knitting, I think. Uh, and as she's watching TV, she looks out the, uh, sliding glass door and here come, uh, to the, the two kidnappers with their, they got the ski masks on and everything. And it's funny because she's just like watching them, like all scared, like, uh, what's going on. And which I don't know why, like, uh, she should have called the cops like as soon as she saw them, but you know, um, but she's just like watching them and they're like just peeking in the house, but they don't see her. And they're just like trying to figure out how to get in. And then it's not until, uh, one of them breaks the window or breaks the sliding glass door that she like screams and tries to run. Uh, Gare grabs her. Um, but then she like bites his hand and, uh, then she runs upstairs, uh, grabs the phone and is trying to call the police. Uh, um, one of them, like, cause we don't, we don't see who it is, but, uh, we see the, um, cause it's a wired landline phone. Cause it's 1987. Um, so someone pulls the phone cord, uh, through the bathroom door and yanks it out of her hand before she can dial anything. She's in the bathroom. She, uh, oh, we see her open the window, like she's going to jump out the window. Um, but then it cuts to them like breaking the door open. They get in there. Um, they see that the doors open or that the windows open and like Carl's like, Oh, she must've got outside. Let me go get her. And Gare's just like worried about the bite on his hand. He's just looking for some like ointment or something in the, uh, medicine cabinet. And while he's about to put the ointment on, he, notices the shower curtain he's like oh i bet she's in there and but before he can pull it open and see that she's in there she like tries i don't know if she's trying to tackle him like with the shower curtain or and rush him or just like panics and tries to run but she has the shower curtain on her because that like she pulls that off and it's covering her face so she ends up falling down the stairs uh because she can't see and knocks herself out so uh he made their job easy so then we see uh jerry's meeting with wade and stan and uh they're like oh yeah like it looks like a really good deal look like it's gonna make like a a lot of money and all the numbers are right so uh what's your finder's fee and jerry's like what do you mean like finder's fee like no like this is this is my deal i just want the you guys to invest in it and they're like well why would we do that like why would we just give you all this money and like uh and he's like well like i'd pay you the in- uh, i'd pay you back the principal plus interest and they're like no like that's that's a terrible business idea for us like we'll just give you the finder's fee like what's your fee and jerry's like no like finder's fee is only like 10 percent. like i need more than that basically um and then it ends with, uh, or the meeting ends with Jerry, like turning them down on the finder's fee and walking away with nothing because they're like, all right, well, we're still going to invest in this, uh, this idea. Um, but it, you know, if you don't want the finder's fee, then 
I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I think I'm, I, I get the principle behind Jerry being like offended by this. Like I, I get it, but on their end, like, yeah, it, it just makes more sense. Um, and I think it is because, well, just look at how in over his head he is in multiple aspects of his life. He's not the most reliable person. So it's definitely a better business uh, decision on the Wade and Stan's part than it is for <laughs> Jerry. Uh, one of the coolest shots, though, is like after um, Wade, or not Wade, uh, after Jerry leaves all defeated, it's just this overhead shot of him walking into the uh, snow covered parking lot and his is the only car in the parking lot and it's just like a a real cool shot that i always really liked but when he gets to his car like he's trying to like scrape the ice off and then he has like a little bit of a um like a little outburst and everything he's like hitting the ice scraper on the windshield and throws it and you know just like taking out his frustration and uh but then we see him come home with the groceries and he's like, hello, like Gene, like you home. And then sees like that the kidnappers have done their part. Uh, and then we hear, uh, we just overhear him like, like, wait, it's Jerry. Like, oh my God, like Gene, like, I don't know what happened, you know? And, he, but then he says it like a couple of different times in a couple of different ways. And then the camera pans over. Then we see that he's rehearsing how he's going to, uh, call Wade and tell her that, or tell him that Gene is kidnapped. Um, so, and he's just trying to like get it right and everything. Uh, but I think the funniest part is like, we keep hearing him with all these like exacerbated or, uh, I keep not exas- exasperated, uh, voices and everything like that. Um, but then when, uh, he calls finally, it's just like the, um, receptionist so he's just like uh yeah uh wade please (laughs) but just it's just like so matter of fact and then you you'd think that he's all like panicking and everything like that like if it was real then you know i mean the kidnapping was real but he knows about it he's in on it so you know what i mean so we see our two kidnappers they uh are going the other way down the road uh passing the paul bunyan statue again that we saw before um Chekhov's Paul Bunyan, I guess. And uh, they have uh, Jean in the back seat uh, with like blankets over her or whatever. And Gary's telling her to shut up or I'm going to have to shoot you. Or one of them says that. I forget which one. Um, and uh, they end up getting pulled over by a state trooper, highway patrolman, something like that. Um, I think it's a state trooper. Uh, and. So they pull over and like Carl's like, ah, like I don't have the tags on there. I never put the tags on the license plate. And um, so he's like, don't worry. Like, I got this. Like, just play it cool. And tells uh, Gene in the back, like, if you don't like if you move, then I'll shoot you, you know. So the trooper gets up to the window and is like, oh, like, uh, how can I help you, officer? And he's like, oh, um, you know, like if you uh, is this. He says, like, is this a new car? And he's like, yeah, like, uh, it is. And he's like, you're supposed to have the dealer plates, like, in the window or taped where the license plate goes. And, yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, sorry. Like, you know, I like I meant to do that, but 
Um, it just slipped my mind. So I'm sorry about that. And he goes to hand him his license and registration and it's his wallet with the license there, but also a $50 bill, like hanging out of the wallet. And he's trying to like, Oh, like I was hoping maybe we could just take care of this here and in Brainerd. Uh, and the cops like, what are you doing? Like, and he's not, you could tell he's not going to take the bribe or anything like that. Um, and he's like, all right. Just uh, step out of the car uh, or like put that back in your pocket and step out of the car. And this is where Gare reaches over Carl, grabs the cop. Um, I don't know, grabs his tie or something and pulls him down and shoots him in the head. And like literally like just blood, like, like all over Carl, all over the inside of the car. It's just like coming out like a fountain. And it's just, it's, it's super intense. Like the whole thing. And then they're like, oh my god, oh my god. Like Carl's like, okay, like yeah, the Gare's just like take care of it yourself, like whatever. And he's like, get him off the road. And so Carl gets out of the car, he's trying to pull the cop's body off the road, like probably put it in the ditch or you know, something. As he's struggling with picking him up, here comes a car down the road, and it's just like two locals probably coming down the highway and they kind of slow down because they see like the cop you know the lights and everything uh they slow down and uh see that uh carl has a <laughs> a dead cop in his arms and they're like then they drive off and then gary just like jumps over into the driver's seat closes the door and takes off uh, after these two guys um or it's a couple. And uh, so he's chasing down the road while Carl's still trying to get the cop off the road and everything. Uh, he's chasing them. He's trying to catch up with them because they, they like sped off once they saw what was happening, like as anybody probably would. Um, and he's chasing them down the road. It's getting dark. He's kind of losing the, the taillights. Uh, but then he comes up on uh, the car and it's uh, flipped over in the snow. Um, so they, you know, it's snowing, so it's easy to lose control, especially when you're going that fast. Uh, they went off the road, flipped the car, uh, Gary gets out, he's got his gun. He sees the guy, um, big old red puffy coat running out in the snow, um, and just gets shot in the back and then, uh, goes over to the car that's flipped over and there's the, you know, the significant other, the, the woman that's in there and, uh, she's, in the car it's upside down and everything and uh, then he just like kind of stands back and kills her now we get introduced to our other main character uh marge gunderson uh played by uh francis mcdermott and um we see her uh getting a call like late at night um and uh we're only hearing like her side of the call or of every and everything like that um, so she's getting out of bed. Uh, her husband's there with her. Um, I forget. I always forget that actor's name, but he was the Zodiac killer and Zodiac. Well, the one that they strongly suggest is the Zodiac killer. Um, but he's a great actor. Uh, and so he's like, Oh, like you gotta go to work. And she's like, yeah, like, but you go back to sleep. And he's like, no, like I'll, ma I'll make you breakfast. Like you gotta eat before you go. And, uh, so he insists on making her eggs. We see that she's uh pregnant once she gets up and, um, 
then we see them uh, having their breakfast together. Uh, she gets up to leave, um, you know, says goodbye and everything goes out to the car and then comes right back in and says that the cop car needs a jump. So, um, now then we see her at the, uh, crime scene and, uh, out in Brainerd on the side of the road. Uh, there's another cop there waiting for her with, uh, coffee, hot chocolate, something hot. Um, and, uh, so just like, okay, triple homicide. Uh, we got these two here and then the trooper back up the road. Um, and like r- right away, like puts it together. Like, all right. Like just the way that they're shot and that the fact that there's a dead cop and she's like, I bet that, uh, they, uh, you know, traffic stop gone wrong. These two drive by and they get, um, chased and taken care of after that. And sees that the uh, footprints are rather large there. But then when they go back to where the um, the state trooper was killed, notices that the footprints are different and smaller. And so, like, she's right right off the bat, like, figuring everything out, like, pretty quick. And they're like, oh, like, what were the, uh, like, did you get the trooper's notebook? Like, um, like, what's the license plate? And they have the car type, and then he says that the uh, license plate just says DLR. And he's like, oh, like I bet like he got shot before uh, he could uh, finish writing the number. And she's like, I don't know. like I'm going to have to call you on that police work, I bet. Because um, what I think happened is that it's dealer plates, DLR. And he's like, oh, okay. So then we see uh, Jerry wade and stan at a diner and they're uh trying to figure out how they're going to handle this hostage situation and wade wants to get the cops involved and jerry's like no they said no cops like uh if something goes wrong like they're they're gonna kill her like so like we need to play this their way and stan's like you know what i'm gonna have to agree with jerry on this like they're holding all the cards and um you know so if we mess with them in any way like it, it can only go bad for us and but uh, wade's still like no like like it's my money like all this stuff and um but like in the end like they're the plan is to go with uh jerry's plan and then we get like one of the like most subtly sad parts is uh stan asks how uh the son is doing like with all this and you could tell that Jerry like didn't even think about that, like at all, like no regard for how this uh, kidnapping was going to affect his son and anything like that. And you just tell in his tone that like, Oh yeah, he didn't even think about that. So he does go like talk to the son and the son you could tell is like freaked out and nervous. And he's like, what if they come back? Are they going to hurt her? What are they doing with her? And Jerry's like, yeah, it's going to be okay. Like all they want is money and they have no reason to hurt her. So, cause if they do, then they won't get the money. Um, and like, he's just trying to comfort and he's, you know, not doing a very good job of it, but you know, then we see, uh, Carl and Gare get to the, uh, the, I guess their safe house, you know, it's funny. You think of a safe house as more of like a, uh, good guy thing, but it's their hideout or whatever. It's just a house out by 
a lake or something like that. And uh, we see uh, they open the car door to get Jean out. She has a bag on her head and she's like handcuffed, hands behind her back and everything. And um, she tries to run for it, but you know, again, can't see anything. And you just see her like run in the snow and fall and then get up and try to run again. And the Carl's just like laughing at her like, Oh, like, and, uh, you know, eventually she just gives up and then they take her inside. So the cops figure out that the, uh, car that they're looking for had checked into the blue ox motel and that they, uh, it was two guys and that they had, uh, two women with them. And so she's like, okay, like, you know, figure that out. Like, let me go talk to these, uh, two sex workers and, uh, see what I can figure out. And so, uh, she's talking to them and this is, uh, actually the, uh, first scene I ever seen of this, uh, movie. And it was when I got the, when it first came out, the game seen it. Uh, it was one of the, uh, movie clips that they played on the, uh, my play or whatever. And, um, it was this interview of, with, uh, Marge and the, uh, the two sex workers. And it's, it's hilarious. Like just, uh, a lot of the, the real strong Midwestern accent, the, oh yeah. And stuff like that. And, um, uh, just all the lines are like really funny too. Like she asked the one like, Oh, um, like, what can you tell me about the, uh, like, what do they look like? And she's like, well, the little one was really funny looking. And she's like, funny looking how, like, can you be any more specific than that? And she's like, no, just funny looking. Like, uh, he was uncircumcised and, she, and uh, Marge is like, Oh, besides that, how was he funny looking? And she's like, I don't know. And then the other one says like, well, the other guy, the big guy was like, reminded me of the Mar- Marlboro man, but maybe that's just because he smoked Marlboros. Like it was like a subconscious thing or something like that. And she's like, not really getting anywhere with them. But then, uh, one of them does remember that they said that they were going to the, uh, twin cities, which is in Minneapolis. And, uh, she was like, Oh, like, is that helpful? And then Marge is like, Oh yeah. Like, that, that, that helps me a lot. Um, so we see Marge back at the house. Uh, she gets another, uh, well, we see her come home, uh, first, uh, then, uh, she's in bed with her husband. She gets a call late at night from, uh, Mike, uh, Yanagita. And, um, it's like an old school friend of hers, uh, maybe ex-boyfriend, uh, um, I forget if they say like specifically, but, um, he's just like, Oh, like I saw you on the news and like, I couldn't believe it was you. Cause he's calling her by her maiden name. Like, uh, he's like, Oh, like I'm in town, like, and all this stuff. Like, it'd be cool to like catch up. And she's like, Oh yeah. Like, cool. Then we see, uh, Carl calling Jerry from a payphone, and he's like, Hey, like we need more money. Like shit got out of hand. There's three people dead and like, this isn't what we signed up for. So you're going to have to pay us more money. And Jerry's like freaking out about this. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, (laughs) like what, what, who's dead? Like, like this isn't part of the plan. And like, first he makes sure that Gene's not the one that's dead. And then he's like, no, like Gene's fine, but like, give me more money or she won't be. And he, Carl's basically saying like, Hey, I'm going to take, uh, the full 80,000 now, you know, there's no splitting it now. Like now we get 
all the money. Right after he gets off the phone with Carl, phone rings again, and it's the bank. And this time they're a little more like, okay, like, still didn't get those serial numbers and we need that. And if we don't get that, then I'm going to be, that we're going to have to report this to the IRS and all this stuff and also get the money, take the whole 300,000 back. And so he's like, no, like I'm, I'm going to send it. Like it's on it. It's in the mail. It's on its way. And, and he's just like, get more frustrated and more things are going wrong for him and everything like that. See Marge, uh, gets the, um, uh, phone records from the uh, Blue Ox Motel lobby phone. Um, I think this is while she's at uh, dinner with her husband, Norm, and uh, they're at like a buffet. Uh, other cop comes up to her, says like, hey, like we got the phone records. And like they made two calls, uh, one to Minneapolis and one to a private residence uh, of Shep Proudfoot. And they're like, oh, okay, like, We'll check both of them out. We see another argument of uh, Wade trying to take control of the situation. And he's saying like, hey, it's my money. I'm going to do the drop. And Jerry's like, no, like you can't like they said it has to be just me. And like it's that's too risky. Like you're going to. Um, but for some reasons, like and that does make sense. Like. But for some reason, I think because money is involved, then stands like siding with Wade this time. So I don't know what like changed his mind about that, but you know, I, I get it from Wade's side to an extent, but I think if, you know, if your daughter is, if her life is in danger, like why would you like try to mess with that? You know, I don't know. We see Carl pull into a, an airport parking garage. He goes up to the top floor, finds a, or maybe it's not a garage. It could just be a parking lot either way. He's in a uh, parking lot, um, finds a car, uh, steals the plates off the back and puts them on his car, obviously, and then goes to leave the parking lot. And he's like, hey, like I decided not to park here. And the parking attendant's like, "Okay, but it's like, what do you mean? Like, you didn't decide to park here. Like, (laughs) it's an airport. Like, uh, he's like, oh, I decided not to take the trip. And he's like, "Okay, well, it's still like a four dollar flat fee. And Carl's just like arguing with them. And he's like, but I'm not parking here. Like I was in here for like five minutes and I just want to leave now. And the guy's like, well, it's still like a $4 fee. And that, um, Carl just like berates him and, but then like throws him $4 and leaves. So now that, uh, Jerry is panicking that Wade is going to be the one to take the money and he can't stop, he can't talk him out of it. So he goes to talk to Shep in order to get the, get word to Carl, like, Hey, like, I can't stop this from happening. It's going to be him. Like, but our deal still stands. Okay. Another bit of information that's interesting is like, we, uh, we hear the conversation that uh, Wade is having with Jerry and Stan, and he's saying like, "Oh, like let's just uh, offer a half a million," and they're like, "No, that's too low. Like we shouldn't like lowball them." So this is where we find out that Jerry has told Wade that it's more money than you know what we heard before, because before we heard eighty thousand, and now it, it's obviously a lot more. So I think it's Jerry trying to have security for this bank thing. If that goes wrong and he has to pay that money back. So, um, 
And I, and that's probably the other reason that he needs to get in contact with Carl. Like, hey, it's going to be more money. We're going to split that instead or whatever, you know, because if uh, if Wade shows up with a million dollars and in cash and it's just Carl there, then Carl's just going to take the rest of the money, you know, uh, which down the line is what happens. But uh, so Jerry's there at the garage where Shep works and he goes to talk to him, but Shep's inside talking to Marge. Like she's there interviewing him because, you know, that was the other one of the calls that uh, she's investigating. So obviously Jerry's freaking out about this. Uh, He leaves, um, but uh, doesn't matter because, Next, Marge goes to his office because he was the other call. Like, it was to the uh, dealership. Um, So he's trying to, like, throw her off the set and doing a terrible job because he's doing nothing but making himself look suspicious. Like, even if she wasn't suspicious of him, she is now. Like, before, she definitely is now because he's just, like, digging himself a bigger hole. Everything he says. And she's like, hey, like, were any uh, cars stolen off the lot? And he's like, nope, no cars were stolen. And she's like, uh, are you sure? Like, <laughs> you want to go double check? And he's like, no, like, there's definitely no cars stolen any, you know, recently. Um, but, you know, I think she could tell that there's something going on with him for sure. You know, anyone can tell. And, uh, um, you know, she gets what she needs and then uh, takes off leaves uh, and of course jerry's just sweating even more now uh she goes to um meet with mike because she has to go she's staying in minneapolis uh so it's obviously a little bit of a drive so she was there for the uh investigation but that's where her old friend mike was too so she's like oh like i'm gonna go meet him for lunch and uh she goes to meet him for lunch uh he's like very uh I'd say like touchy feely a little bit. Um, and just like very happy to see her and everything, uh, tries to go sit on the same side of the, um, booth as her. And she's like, Nope, like I'd prefer if you go sit on the other side. And then he like, he gets all embarrassed and she's like, no, like, I just don't want to like, uh, hurt my neck. Like looking at you. I want to look, you know, straight ahead. Uh, but you could tell that like from the conversation that he's very, uh, lonely. He does. I mean, he says outright that he's very lonely and that his, uh, that he has kids, but his wife died of cancer and all this stuff. And he's just having a really hard time. Um, but she's just like, Hey, like, you know, I'm, I'm here as a friend, you know, nothing like that. And, uh, you know, after the, uh, lunch is over, we get a scene with, uh, Carl and he's just out to dinner by himself. Well, apart from Gare, because he's back at the house watching Gene, but he's out with this, uh, with another sex worker. Uh, they're out at, a like a nightclub with like a live performance. Uh, it's Jose Feliciano, um, most widely known. Like if you're not listening to, uh, Spanish music, everyone knows, uh, Feliz Navidad. So, uh, that's who they're watching. And, uh, like the, you can tell the date's not really into it, but you know, they're, they're out anyway. Um, cut back to them, uh, having sex in the hotel room and, door 
door busts open. It's Shep. He <laughs> grabs the girl, throws her off, um, and uh, or maybe Carl pushes her. I forget. Either way, she's off, and he's beating the shit out of uh, Carl. Like, like I'm not going back to prison because of you. Like, what the fuck did you do? And all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, just like beats the crap out of him. Uh, then leaves like like better not be talking to cops about me or any of this stuff like leave me out of it like all right so then carl calls uh jerry and he's like pissed off and he's like hey like we're getting this over with 30 minutes uh dayton radisson parking garage top floor and like doesn't even give jerry a chance to say anything so jerry can't warn him like hey it's not gonna be me it's gonna be wade uh but then phones hung up uh wade goes uh goes there we see him uh that he has a gun and he has it like in his jacket um while he's pulling into the garage uh gets up to the top gets out of the car and carl's like who the fuck are you like what are you doing here like where's jerry and and he's like where's my daughter and he's like no money like no gene no money and and Carl's just like had it at this point, pulls his gun out and shoots Wade in the chest. And so he goes over there. He's like yelling at Wade more like as he's like laying there dying on the in the snow. Uh, Wade pulls out a gun, pulls out the gun that we saw and shoots uh, Carl. But it just like goes through his mouth, like kind of out his cheek, maybe. Or it just either grazes his cheek or goes like through and out. But either way, like gets shot. He's bleeding like crazy. Shoots Wade a bunch more times to make sure he's dead. Takes the money and is driving out. Uh, gets to the parking attendant. Uh, well, there we go again with the thumbs up. I hate that. Gets to the parking attendant. And he's like, open the fucking gate. And he's like bleeding like crazy. And then a scene cuts away to Jerry driving there. Like he's like, all right, like I got to be there to ease you know, diffuse the tension if something goes wrong, but he sees car speeding out of there, um, and, uh, gets to the top and finds that Wade's dead and the money's gone. And then I think he pops, he pops the trunk open. We see him pop the trunk open. So I don't know if he took Wade's body or what, but then as he's leaving, we see that, uh, Carl also killed the parking attendant because he's pulling out the gates busted and he looks inside and there's a dead body in there. We get another cop is interviewing, uh, the bartender at one of the bars that Carl and Gare were at. And he's just telling them this, uh, this whole long story about how, uh, these two guys come in and they're having drinks and they're looking for women. And he's like, what makes you think like, I know anything about that. And like, you know, he's just kind of like telling the whole story of this like confrontation that he had with Carl basically. And, uh, but says that they let slip that they're out by the, that wherever they're staying is out by the lake. And so I was like, okay, like it's got, it's gotta be like this lake. Um, I forget the name of the lake. Uh, so they know at least where, like whereabout they could be. We see Carl like driving back to, uh, the, their hideaway and he's on like the long stretch of road and, uh, decides like, Hey, there's, 
way more money than what was agreed, so let me hide the rest of it. And he goes out to bury it in the snow, but then he's looking around, he's like, shit, like, it's the middle of nowhere, how am I going to know where to find it? And then he has the uh, red ice scraper and just kind of sticks it on the pile that way. Hey, like, it's it will look inconspicuous and he probably only has to leave it there for like a day or so so he's like all right like i'll just leave this and i'll come back for it later once i've parted ways with uh with my partner in crime and uh so uh this is where it ties into fargo season one because there is a um like a rich uh like supermarket kingpin of the area and it's this story about like how he got rich. There's a flashback and the way he got rich was he, him and his wife broke down in the car and it happened to be right where that red, uh, ice, uh, ice scraper was. He goes and digs up all the money and that's how he became rich. Um, so like I said, very loosely connected, but still connected anyways, moving on. Uh, so then he heads back to uh, the hideout. Um, then we get a scene of Marge. She's uh, packing in her hotel room and she's talking to one of her friends, um, like another uh, mutual of Mike. And he's like, she's like, oh, like he's just like really sad and lonely ever since uh, his wife Linda died. And the friend's like, what? Like, no, like he was never married to Linda. And also she's not dead. Like, he was always like bugging her all the time and basically like he's just like pretending that he was married to this other girl that he had a crush on uh maybe she did die for real but um yeah they were never like even dating let alone married and had children together so uh and it was all pre-internet so it's easier to get away with that stuff but still not not that easy because you just have to have one mutual person to tell you the truth but yeah so mike was lying and everything just wanted some sympathy i guess and just also very stalker prone i guess um stalker tendencies so jerry's back at the office we see him uh writing down um the fake serial numbers uh um a little more legible and just trying to make sure that they're just right. And as he's doing this, Marge comes back to, you know, interrogate him again. Um, but he's getting just like way more defensive with her this time. And he's like, all right, like, you know, when's the last time he did an inventory? And he's like, like, well, I'm going to do a lot count. Let's do it right now. Like, come on. And she's like, whoa, like, Hey, like you don't need to get, you know, all snippy with me. Like, I'm just doing my job and you're just doing your job, right? So let's just make it easier. Uh, but so he's like, all right, like, I'll be right back. Um, and so as she's like waiting in the office, she hears some tire screech and looks out the window and Jerry's making a run for it. And so she's like, so she calls, uh, you know, someone else in the department, like, hey, like he's making a run for it. So Carl gets back to the hideout. Uh, Gare's in there watching soap operas with the TV dinner and everything. Jean's like passed out on the floor and he's like, what's with her? And Gare's like, well, she started like shrieking. So like I I hit her basically. Uh, So we don't know if she's dead or just passed out. Like who knows? 
Um, but Carl's like, all right, like here's the money and gives, uh, gives Gare his cut. Like here's $40,000. Um, and he's like, oh, what about the car? And he's like, how are you going to split a car? Like get a fucking chainsaw. And Gare's like, one of us pays for half. And it's like, oh my God, like you're making this more. He's like, I got shot. Like (laughs) I pay, I paid my price. Like who cares about the car? And so he's like, all right, like I'm not paying for that. I'm taking the car. And he goes to leave as he's like about to get in the car. We see Gare come out of the house with a ax and bury it right in uh, Carl's chest. Just like right there, and then the scene cuts. So then we see Marge uh, going off the tip that, like, hey, maybe they're at the lake, and she's driving around, and then she spots in the driveway, she's like, oh, that's the car. Like, you know, um, I think it's a tan Sierra is what they're looking for. Um, so she spots the car, says, like, all right, like, the whoever she's talking to is like, all right, we're sending back up, um, be careful. You know, and so she parks the car, gets her gun out and starts like walking towards the cabin. Uh, As she's walking towards the cabin, we can hear like a machine, like machine noises, uh, like some kind of motor, you know, chainsaw, lawnmower, generator, something, you know. And so she's like on alert. She's taking it easy. Heading there, she's got her gun drawn. She's going closer to the sound. She gets close, and then we see, uh, kind of obscured, that it's a uh, wood chipper, and everything on the uh, output end of the wood chipper is just like this big, giant puddle of blood, just blood everywhere. And you know, once we get a closer look, we see that Gare is feeding uh, <laughs> Carl. Uh, piece by piece into the wood chipper and we see him just like trying to put his like leg in there because we just see like the the foot sticking out with the shoe on and he's like it's not going in and he's got this like piece of wood and he's trying to like push it in and she's like police police and you know with their gun drawn on him and yeah you know he finally hears her and tries to uh take off running across the lake which is frozen um but uh she uh gets him in the leg and he's down and you know uh arrests him and everything and we see him in the back of the car and uh she's saying like man like all of this just for a little bit of money like i'm, I'm assuming that was gene uh Lundegaard on the floor in there and I, so we kind of get from the tone they even though they don't outright say it, that I think she was dead. Um, and then she's like, and then that was the, uh, that was your partner, the little guy and they're in the wood chipper there. And he's not saying anything. And then she's like, you know, there's more to life than a little bit of money. Uh, and I for, he say, he says something to that, but I, I, I forgot to write it down. Um, or maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's just staring out the window and like thinking about what she's saying. But uh, either way, uh, we get a uh, a scene at a uh, motel where they uh, catch Jerry. Um, 
they're uh, knocking on his door saying like, Hey, is Mr. Anderson there? Cause he used a fake name checking in, uh, but it's still his car <laughs> in the parking lot. And they're like, Hey, are you the owner of such and such car? And he's like, Oh yeah, be there in a sec. Uh, so that, but they have the hotel manager there. They open it with the key. They get in there. Uh, and he's in the bathroom trying to escape through the window, but he's stuck and they pull him out and get him on the bed and cuff him and everything. So he finally, he goes down, uh, then we get the final scene is, uh, Marge getting into bed with her husband for the night. And they just have like this nice, uh, normal conversation about his, uh, stamp collecting and everything like that. And it's just like a nice, it, it reminds me, um, I know this is obviously a later movie, but it reminds me of the end of, uh, no country for old men, how it's just this like seemingly mundane conversation, but it is just like a slice of life. And then it just like, that's how you really see how, who these characters are is by seeing them in their normal day to day, not when they're catching murderers or getting shot at or, you know, whatever. Um, you just get to see them as they are with their significant other. And, uh, yeah, I just really like that end part. Um, but yeah, uh, great movie, Fargo. Uh, probably besides No Country for Old Men, this would be my favorite, uh, my second favorite Coen Brothers movie. Um, not a lot of people are probably like Big Lebowski. I do like that one, but also I think I just need to give that one a few more watches before I like really appreciate it but fargo is just so good and it's short too it's like only 98 minutes so you can breeze right through it and it's just like it's really well paced nothing is uh unnecessary in my opinion um but yeah and great performances by everybody like everyone's like at the top of their game no one comes off like they don't know what they're doing or they're like too hammy or too uh broad or anything like that um but yeah great script great performances great directing great cinematography like i said that one shot of the parking lot is just gorgeous like so well uh framed and everything but yeah uh that's fargo um thank you guys for watching thank you for listening uh this uh you know if you're a listener check out the YouTube. If you prefer that, um, if you're uh, watching and you prefer to like have it on the go and just listen to it, check it out on any of the platforms, Apple music, Spotify, whatever, like it's on all of them. I'm pretty sure. Uh, but yeah, thanks for watching, listening. Uh, please, uh, like subscribe review, whichever pertains to the medium that you're consuming this, uh, and stick around next week. Like I said, we're going to be doing more uh, winter or snow movies that aren't uh, holiday related. So um, next one should be John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, and if it's not next week, then it's somewhere in the month. So uh, thanks again and uh, stick around and stay tuned for what else we got later in the month. Thanks. Bye.